I believe in something called gravity. Do you believe in gravity? Gravity is a real thing. I, I think you should look into it and, and trust it. And here's the thing about gravity. It exists whether you believe in it or not. So even, even if you're fully convinced that it doesn't uh, exist because you can't see it, trust in it, friends. You know, you don't, you don't want a life where you wake up in the morning and you're not sure whether your feet are going to hit the floor or the ceiling. All right? Gravity is a real thing. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you uh, to pull them out. And we're going to talk about these invisible realities in our world. And, and this struggle between humanity um, and honoring God and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. And it's been like this since the beginning of time. The Old Testament prophet Haggai, um, all the way in, in the 500 B.C., before Christ... Um, so in 587 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, led by Nebuchadnezzar, came into Jerusalem and completely sacked the area and tore down and burned the temple to the ground in 587 B.C. Um, the Jews of that time were taken away, enslaved uh, in what would today be modern-day Iraq and Iran and uh, Syria. Uh, there was the great diaspora of Judaism that leaves uh, Jerusalem, and King Cyrus conquered Babylon in 538, and, and he made a public decree that all of the Jews that had been gone could now return home. And not only could they return home, but King Cyrus wanted them to rebuild the temple, because you'll remember that the temple was the place that people were made right with God. The high priest would go and would slaughter an animal on the altar before the Lord, and it was the blood offering of an animal that made you right with God again. You could not be made right with God unless you had seen the priest, had gone to the temple, and were made right. That was how they understood it. And it was important to King Cyrus that that be rebuilt, that the temple cultus would be reestablished and people would be made right with God again. And so in 538 B.C. to 520 B.C., for 18 years, people had moved back, but there was no progress made in the rebuilding of the temple at Jerusalem. So day after day, for 18 years, people would walk through the streets of Jerusalem, and they would see where the temple used to be, uh, and just rubble and ruins, and they would walk by it, but they wouldn't rebuild it. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is that? I mean, if that was the center of religious life, if that was how people were made right with God, how could they just let that be? And that's a good question, isn't it? You see, they had just been enslaved. They had lost an entire generation of what it was to follow closely with God, to walk with him. And so they, they weren't used to the temple. They really didn't miss it. They didn't know what it was to be walking closely with God. They simply walked by the ruins day by day. And what they had on their mind was, how am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to find a house for myself? Because all the houses had been ruined as well. So they were rebuilding their homes. They were rebuilding their businesses. They were working on themselves and their, and their life, the kingdom of self. And the prophet Haggai steps into this situation. He says, look, from 587 all the way to 520, for 67 years, there has been no temple. And the Lord is calling us back to be in right relationship with him. We need to rebuild the temple. And the temple had laid in ruins since 587. And here's, here's a truism that I, I want to lift up before us. And that is, I mean, you can imagine... Um, that they, they see this day by day. And I think it, it sounds a lot like what many of us go through. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a day where you, you went to work early because you really needed to get something done. And, and lo and behold, uh, there might be another person or two that came in early to get their work done as well. And before you know it, you're distracted on another thing that wasn't what you came in to do. And by the time you get to noon, you have to go hit this lunch appointment. And then you come back and you have some other meetings, but it's still not on the thing you came in early to do. And you stay until 6 and then at 7. It's a little after 7. You're making calls at home and saying, I'm so sorry. I thought I'd be home, but I haven't gotten to that thing that I came in early to do yet. And you go home defeated 
no work that you wanted to get done, done, and exhausted. Anybody ever have that day? My, good, I'm glad I'm not the only one that has that day from time to time. That the very things that you think in your kingdom of yourself that you're going to get done, sometimes they just don't get done. And you're frustrated. The prophet Haggai says it like this in the message. I love Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the Bible. He says, God said more and Haggai spoke it to the people. How is it that it's the right time for you to live in your fine new homes while the home that God's temple is in ruins? And then a little later, God of the angel army spoke out again. Take a good look, a hard look at your life. Think it over, the prophet says. You have spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. Anybody go to the State Fair of Oklahoma? You know what I'm talking about. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket. That's what the prophet said. Now, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes that can feel like our life. You work and work and work, and it just doesn't seem to be enough. And, and here, here's the piece that I, I want to hold up to us. You see, these are people who had moved back. They saw the temple. It could not be more clear. There used to be a temple. There's not a temple. It's laying in ruins. They walk by it every day. And here's the thing that we have to remember, that we think information alone will transform us. It won't. Will you read that with me? We think information alone will transform us. It won't. Did you know that I saw a very highly well-trained dietitian about a decade ago? How's it working? <laughs> right? Information won't do it, friends right? How many of you all in your 20s knew that if you set, set back 10% of your income and invested it wisely, you would have the beauty of compound interest? How, how many of you all knew that in your 20s? How many of you are millionaires today because you did that? No, raise them high. I need to know, really, right? right? Now, most people, we have the information. We just, we just can't seem to get there. And then other times we'll go to a concert or we go to a speech or we have this really moving moment and we think inspiration will transform us. It won't. It won't, it won't for long. It doesn't last long, right? I had a, a friend of mine after service tell me, he says, Mark, inspiration is like a shower. It's great for a few days, right? That's inspiration. So information alone is not going to get you there. Inspiration is not going to get us there. You see, that's true for so many places in our life that we think if we just have the right information, we've got it. And if we can only be inspired, haven't, haven't we all been inspired at some point in our life? Then we just kind of fall back into our habits. And Jesus promises a new way of life. He promises to take us to a place that we may have never been or haven't been in a while. Jesus promises intimate interaction with him and that that will transform our lives. It will. What Jesus promises is intimate interaction. Will you say that with me? Jesus promises intimate interaction. And the word in the Bible is know, K-N-O-W, to know. Uh, it's, it's so intimate, in fact, that that's the same word that's used when moms and dads uh, make babies. That's the same word, right? A very intimate, close, can't be closer heart to heart, light, life to life. Creative, beautiful thing. This is how God wants to be close with us. As close as you can possibly be. Intimate interaction to know us, for us to know God and for God to know us. To live inside of us, actually. And that changes everything. Everything. And Paul writes this to the early church in Corinth. Paul writes it like this. He says, when one turns to the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, the veil of this world is removed. And we actually live into a new kingdom of God. There's a whole other reality out there that we can live into and participate in. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. 
unbodily personal power. Okay, that's what spirit is. It's real power. Just like electricity is real power, even though you can't see it, can do beautiful, wonderful things. And where that power is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what, friends? Freedom. Real freedom. You can have a life that's worth living. You can have a life of joy and of peace. It's a good, good thing. And, and, and so that's stated positively. To state it a little more succinctly, but a bit negatively, let me say it like this. Life won't work like it's intended unless we're in right relationship with God. That's as clear as I know how to say it to you. If you're having bumps and stumbles in your life, uh, more than likely, there's a piece that we just might not be right relationship with God. That just might be the case. It is for most of us. Life won't work like it's intended unless we are in a right relationship with God. Will you say that with me? Life won't work like it is intended unless we are in right relationship with God. You see, there are all these things at play. There are all these worlds that happen simultaneously. And we began to get a better understanding of this back in 1655 with a man named Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton discovered gravity. And he said that if you have a rock and you drop it, it's going to fall down instead of up because of gravity. There's a real invisible force that you cannot see that has great effect on your life and no one is exempt. No one. We don't get to opt out of gravity. right? Even if you pray for it. Hey, Lord, I'd like not to have so much gravity today. He doesn't answer that prayer. Okay? It has a great effect on your life. And, and here's the thing that I want us to know, that gravity in the right amount is a good gift of God. It's a good gift. It, it's really powerful and wonderful in the right degree. You don't want too much, and you don't want too little. Have, have you thought, did any of y'all eat breakfast this morning? Do you know how challenging it would be to eat a bowl of fruit without gravity? I mean, it's hard. It looks like this, right? I mean, it's like, where's my apple? Where's, where's my orange? You know, how does, how does this work? You need gravity to have some stability in your life, uh, to, to know what's coming in your life. It helps set things right. It helps set things right. At the same way, you don't want too much gravity. Um, some of you will know, uh, what planet is that? Jupiter, right. Jupiter, is, is it big or small? Big. So if you weigh 150 pounds on Earth, you're going to weigh 350 pounds on Jupiter. Imagine that. you got to wear a fat suit of 350 pounds. On, I mean, that's really hard going, right? That is not what you want to do. You, you want gravity in the right amount. And not too much, not too little. Gravity is a good thing. And Tom Berlin says this. He says, as gravity exists in the natural world, financial gravity exists in the economic world. Will you read that with me? As gravity exists in the natural world, financial gravity exists in the economic world. Okay. Now, it's important that we understand this. Even in the garden, right, even in the garden, um, work was a good part of God's plan. He gives them the garden of Eden. He says to work it and till it. And it's good. It's good. It's all good. It's not till after the fall that that becomes a problem. But the problem with financial gravity is when it feels too heavy, right? When it just feels too heavy. And God provides us with everything that we need. But all of us have wants. Right? And, and so you'll know, have you ever had a heaviness around your finances? Uh, Chantel and I have. You know, we think we're doing well. Uh, we're, we're saving. We're giving. Uh, we're helping out. And then we get one of these. You get one of these? Credit card statement. That's not ours. Don't look. Um, but that, that's not ours. It's just John Smith. Uh, but the thing is, right, you feel great until you get your credit card bill and it's higher than you think. Higher than you thought it was going to be. Right? Have you ever had that day? And then you go and have the conversation. What? Where'd that come from? 
Now, I don't know about most of you, but in our life, we don't have any of our needs on the credit card statement. Right? Our house payment doesn't come off our credit card bill. Um, the majority of the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the basic needs of life don't, aren't normally on the credit card. Right? Credit cards almost always represent your wants, not your needs. Your, your needs of basic food, shelter, clothing, you know, come from a different place for many of us. You see, God provides us with everything we need, but all of us have wants. And the longer the list of wants, the harder the financial stress on us. Uh, and you can think about wants all, all you like. Uh, and it's largely uh, a problem, particularly in the West, in, in places of affluence. Uh, when I travel to places like Nigeria uh, or Turkey, uh, and, I, and I see those folks, some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life have very little. They've got very little to lose. As long as they've got a place to live and food, they're very grateful for it. They're very, very happy. But the thing is, God provides us with everything that we need. But we still have lots of wants, don't we? We just do. And it gets heavier and heavier. The larger the list, the more financial weight comes on us, and it pulls us down. Now, this is, I'm about to share with you something that I think is absolutely maybe the most important thing I'll say to you this year. So, so I want you to pay attention. Because before we get to the end of the rest of it, we've got to get this right. And that is the most important thing about you about every person in this room, is what you think about God. About what you believe about God. It determines everything else that you do in your life. It does. What, what do you really think about God? That's the most important thing about you. Because those images, all those associated images with God, affects the rest of your life. And so let's, let's just do a little experiment. Close your eyes, if you will. If you're comfortable doing that, you can do that. Uh, you don't have to, but if, if you will, that might help you. And I want you to envision yourself now in your room. Maybe your room at home, probably. And you're, you're sitting there, you're doing whatever you do in your room, and God comes in. God comes and throws the door open, and he says, hey. He calls you by name. He says, I want to visit with you in about 10 minutes. I'll be right back. I'll see you in 10 minutes. God walks out the door, closes the door. All right, now open your eyes. How you doing? What do you think? What's going on inside of you? I've been asking this question for a few weeks now, and, and the answers are very telling. For some of you, if you're like most of the people I've talked to, they've said this to me, I need to clean my room. I need to get that laundry off of the treadmill, you know. I need to make my bed or, you know. Others said to me things like, I feel like I'm getting called to the principal's office. Like, I just, ah, uh, like, ah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm ready for this. Like, what's he going to ask me? And they get really locked up inside. And I asked someone else that I'm very close to. And I said, what, you know, so what do you think? And he said to me, I would yell out, hey, God, where are you going? Can I go with you? I want to go with you. Can we talk about it wherever you're going? I want to be wherever you are. And we can come back and talk in my room too, but, but wouldn't it be great if I could just go with you for a little while? Because what I really want is to be with you. Now, that's a different vision of God, isn't it? where you're not afraid, you're not upset, you're not concerned. You can't wait to be with the Lord that loves you. And he's come and said, hey, I want to visit with you in about 10 minutes. I'll be right back. How do you feel about that? What are your thoughts about that? What goes on inside you about that? That's the most important thing in you. And before we get to anything else, today or next week or three weeks from now or anywhere else in your life, this is the core of whether or not you want to be with God. Do you love him? Do you understand that he loves you? Or is there still some part of you from 
you know, kindergarten Sunday school where you're convinced that God really just wants you to sit down, be quiet, and be still. On some of you, you're just still right there. But friends, that's no way to live. And it won't get you into the kingdom life that God has for you. What are your images of God? What do you think about God and all the associated images around that? It changes the very way that we live. It's really important, friends. And so here's the thing. We have the challenge of the will. And the will can only choose or pick those things from around it. And so if you you think about concentric circles, the self, the picker, the chooser is in the middle. And outside of that are your thoughts. Outside of that is your body. Outside of that uh, is your social constructs, your relationships, um, all these things, your intellect, all of that. But right in the middle of all that is yourself, your picker, your chooser. And so it's really important that whatever you surround yourself with are things that you get to choose. Now, this is, this is why it's so important. Because you have a soul, you have a picker, but it's weak. It's very weak. We're not able to choose well. So it's important what we allow in our life, the images and the people and the relationships and the life that we have around us because we can only pick from those. Right? So if you have three choices, let's say this afternoon you're going to spend time with one of three people and, and you know that your picker's weak, make sure that the three people you're choosing from are all good. So your choices are good, good, or really, really good. That make sense? Likewise, in your financial life, right, if you surround yourself and you have savings and you're giving and, and you're helping others, then you can choose from good, good, and good. But if you allow other things like debt, or uncontrolled wants, or those things, then now you're having to pick from good or oh no. And oftentimes we get in trouble because we don't have the will, we don't have the power to pick well. We just don't. And so it's important what you let in your mind. It's important what you see on Facebook and Instagram and on television, particularly in this season. October is horrible for the imagery of what happens in our culture. It's really scary. And so the thing is you have to pick. You still have to pick. And so Jesus actually talks about this, this ability to choose and to choose well. And, and so we find it in Matthew 19. Jesus uh, is in this story. The young man, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, I've kept all these things. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. I'm doing these things. I do Sabbath, the whole thing. What do I lack? And, and really, you could almost, you know, this is a 20-something going, I got this down. Check it. Jesus is going to bless me. Look, everybody, this is going to go well. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, oh, now you're close. You want to be perfect? Okay. I can see into your heart. And so for you, all you have to do is sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then you can come and follow me. That's the only thing you're lacking. You're right. These other things, you've got that down. But your problem is that your stuff has you. You don't have your stuff. Your stuff has you. So if you'll get rid of that, then this is going to work really well. And when the young man heard his word, he went away what? Grieving. Notice that he doesn't say he went away confused. He had the right information. Notice that it doesn't say that he went away, um, you know, uninspired. No, he was inspired, but he had a lot of possessions. You see, he was grieving not because he didn't understand, but because he did. He grieves because he knows exactly what Jesus is saying, and he knows it's exactly true. That this man loves his stuff more than he loves God. Because there's always that battle between what God wants, God's kingdom, and our kingdom. We all have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. Right? You have the kingdom of self, uh, and your kingdom of self is what you have say over. Right? And we all have kingdoms. You have a kingdom. Many of you at your work. Uh, many of you all manage others. Uh, many of you all have children or pets or a home. You have a kingdom. And, and whatever happens there is, is your domain. 
right? In my home, I've got about a three-by-three three kingdom, a, a chair that used to be my papa's, uh, and that's my kingdom. Everything else is Chantel's. That's her kingdom. Uh, but I have my little three-by-three three kingdom. That's mine. I can do what I want to in my chair. Uh, I can read or get up. Those are, that's the limit of my kingdom. But, but that's, that's it for me. And you all have kingdoms, right? You have king- we all have kingdoms. But the thing is, our question is, does that kingdom sit underneath the kingdom of God and work with it or against it? It's okay to have your kingdom, but the question is, does it participate in the kingdom of God, which is the real kingdom that lasts forever? Because our kingdom is going to go away. So the kingdom of self looks like this. Uh, if, if Chantel's in my chair like she was this morning, I may not have a kingdom at all, right? I say, get out of my chair. That's my chair. You've got the other 2,000 square feet of the house. Like, Let's go. One of two things happens. Either she's wounded that I'm selfish or I'm wounded that she's in my place. And so you know what I do. I don't say anything at all. I'm just like, good morning. So, so that happens is you're wounded, right? Or that can be healed in the kingdom of God because that's no big deal. Or that is no big deal. You can be in right relationship because I'm, I'm just teasing about that. It's okay. We'll talk about it later. I've been in my chair this morning. Right. But does this make sense? So if, if you're trying to defend your kingdom, either you're wounded if you lose or you wound somebody else because you're stepping on them to keep your kingdom. Make sense? That's what happens if it's your kingdom. Likewise, you either have grudges because it's not going your way or you, God's kingdom allows you to live in peace and forgiveness. Or you have your kingdom of envy because other people have more than you do. That's always going to be the case. Somebody's going to have more than you do. Or you can show kindness, strife or compassion, contempt or love, bitterness or or mercy. And, and ultimately, friends, if you spend all of your life protecting and holding on your kingdom stuff that you have control over, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be worn out. Because anxiety and stress comes at the limitation of your kingdom. That's where anxiety comes from, friends. You know this. You're fine as long as everything's under your control in your kingdom, but when there become things in your kingdom that you can't control, that's where anxiety comes from. And there's a lot of anxiety in our world, isn't there? Because you know and we know and God knows that it's not supposed to be under our control anyway. We need the kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom, there's life. Life that's really worth living, Jesus says. He's come to bring it, that we can participate in it. And so at the end of the story, Jesus um, then turns from the rich young man and he turns to his disciples. He says, let's learn from this, friends. Let's debrief this situation. Jesus says to his followers, his students, his learners, truly, and whenever Jesus says truly, we need to per- you know, perk up and like, Whoa, hold on. Because when Jesus says truly, he's like, listen up. This is important. So when you see truly in the Bible, listen up. Jesus says, listen up, friends, I tell you. It will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded. They said, what? That doesn't sound right. Then who can be saved? Because in Jesus' day, much like our day, you know, if you see somebody drop the seventh grader in their Escalade going back to their McCastle, you think, that person's got it made. That's what you think. Like, they're blessed. You watch the NFL game this afternoon, somebody scores a touchdown, they make $5 million a year, and they say, I'm so blessed, right? And we think, well, I guess so. I mean, that's what blessing looks like. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. The blessing is being in right relationship with me. And this is where it gets hard. Because if I have nothing, and Jesus says, follow me, I'm like, that is a great deal, because I've got nothing. And so I can follow him, I'm free and easy, I'm ready to go. Like, if you don't have a car and somebody says, hey, do you want to ride downtown? You say, yes, I do. But if you own a car that you think is nicer than the car that's being offered to you, they say, do you need a ride? And you go, no, I'm fine. And the same thing's true in the Christian life. Jesus says, come, follow me. And we're like, you know, I'm doing pretty well. 
I live where I want to. I'm in the school system I want to go to. You know, I've got my health at the moment. I'm good. And so the disciples didn't understand this at all. They're like, well, if the, if the wealthy can't be saved, then who can? And Jesus looks at them and he says this. For mortals, it's impossible. You can never save yourself. And by the way, the Greek word for save, for salvation, is healing. It's sozo. means healing. So anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word salvation, just put in healing. That's what it means. If you want to be whole, if you want to be made whole, you want to be at peace and compassion and mercy in your life. If you want to be made whole, and then, then for God, all things are what? Possible with God. But, but not for us. And so Jesus says the, the trick is this. The secret to life is in abiding. Will you read that with me? The secret to life is in abiding. It's a really important concept, friends. To be truly free and at peace, we must accept Jesus as the new gravitational center of our lives. Not ourself, not our stuff, not somebody else. Jesus, that's the only way that the Prince of Peace comes, is if he's the center of our life. And so Jesus uses this analogy. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Any of y'all ever go to an orchard? You gonna go to an apple orchard? Y'all ever see an apple just hanging out in midair? No, you don't. You don't. It has to be connected to the tree if it's going to grow. If it's going to be fruit at all, it has to be a part of the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who are connected to me abide in me, and I in them, they bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do, say it with me, nothing. Nothing. And by the way, you don't get to choose what kind of fruit you are. If you go to an apple orchard and there's all these apples, you don't get to say, oh, I really want to bear an orange. Doesn't work like that either. That's up to God. And so if you abide in God, then the fruit that comes out of your life looks like God. In the kingdom of self... It's very self-limiting. So Jesus says again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, now this is a really tricky scripture because I know good and well-meaning friends that will say, Pastor Mark, look, I, I asked for this woman to marry me and she said no. And so God must not be real. Well, first of all, God doesn't override somebody else's will. Right? So that doesn't happen. We have to take that kind of relational uh, stuff. Just We have to set it aside because God is not going to make you do something you don't want to do. He's going to make you give to him, not make you fall in love with somebody else or anything else. I, I prayed that God would heal uh, my wife of cancer, uh, my husband of this or that. Didn't happen, so God must not be real. No, no, no. The thing is, when we abide in Christ, it changes what we ask for because he's living in us. And whatever God wants to do in you, it will be done. It'll happen. So ask for whatever you wish because what you're asking for now, because you abide, it's what God wants to do anyway. And it's going to be done for you because that abiding changes what you ask for. Now, my Father is glorified by this, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. It's this loving, interactive relationship. And then he goes on, he says, if you keep my commandments... All these commandments are covered promises. These are blessings meant to bless you and to keep you and to help you and to be able to help you choose rightly so that when your will is weak and you need to make a choice, if you followed the commandments, the choices available to you now are all good. It's God's loving protection around you. It's not to hurt you or spoil your fun. It's so that you might have life and really have it to the full. He says, then you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus was able to save us because he kept all of the commandments that God had given him. He lived a perfect life. He was able to undo what the first Adam had done. The first Adam fell and sinned, and Jesus lived perfectly to make that right. 
He says, I've said these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What are the key words there? Joy and complete. If you want to have joy, then give up the reins and let God take you on a new, wonderful adventure. But it still comes back to the same question. Is it the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? A different way of looking at this is, is saying this. It's about willingness or willfulness, right? And if you break down that second word, all, all you're saying is it's full of my own will. And that leads to exhaustion, burnout, anxiety, because your kingdoms are very limited. All of our kingdoms are limited. Even the biggest kingdoms among us are small in comparison to the kingdom of God. Because what can God do? Anything and everything. And so Jesus lives this out. In Mark 1, it says this. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn your life towards God, and believe in the good news. So Jesus is living this out. He's all about the kingdom of God. He talks about this more than anything else. In Luke, he says it like this. Jesus says to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Notice again, he's talking about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the participation of God in our life. But he doesn't just hang out because it's comfortable. I'm sure he would have loved to hang out at Galilee. It's a beautiful area. But he's sent. He has a purpose. He's going on. Not his will, but God's to be done. And this is what I want you to know. The good news of the kingdom is this, that we can fully enter and participate in the kingdom of God. What's the key word? Participate. You and I. God is inviting you in to be a part of something you cannot see. The world cannot fully understand to bring light and life, to make the crooked places straight, for the blind to see and the deaf to heal and the lame to walk and the dead to be raised. This is the participation of life that you're invited into. The question is, do you want to? And here's the thing, it's not on your own. You don't have to do this on your own. It's not gutting it out. It's not white-knuckling it. You know, if, if you want to start tithing by just like, oh, I'm just going to do it, you won't do it. There are very, very few people on this planet that can just, you know, gut it out and live a new life. But if you're in love with someone, it changes everything, doesn't it? Any of you all ever remember falling in love in your first couple of months? I mean, that's crazy time. You do stuff in that time you never do again, Right? I remember driving from Waterloo, Iowa to Stillwater, 13 hours on no doze and Mountain Dew through the night to see Chantel. I mean, I don't recommend it, um, the, the no doze and the Mountain Dew part. Uh, all, but being with the one you love, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. it. It changes everything, and it's good, and it's fun, and it's wonderful, and it's great. It's not about gutting it out. It's about being and trusting in God's loving goodness, God's loving goodness. And it brings you a whole new life. Uh, many of you all know that last week, uh, I was gone for some spiritual formation work. Um, it's basically church camp for big people, uh, for adults. And so in the mornings, we would uh, pray together, and we'd have our meals together, we'd do small group together, we'd worship together, we'd study together, we'd take communion at night. Uh, it was basically church camp. It was wonderful. But in order to, and able to get there, um, and for me to be able to live out the things that I hope for you, um, so I can you know, actually live that out, model that before you, um, I, I had to get on a plane. Maybe I'll do much traveling these days. It's kind of a beating. And uh, so I get, I'm, Chantel checked me in early, thank you. Um, and so I was able to be in the exit row. Love the exit row, right next to the window. It was great. And then uh, sitting behind me were a mom, was a mom and her two little kids, tiny. One of them was named Max. You know how I know his name was Max? Because she kept saying, Max, 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 Max. And, and Max would climb on my chair and tussle my hair and be like, hey. You know, all the things that, you know, little three-year-olds do, two, three-year-olds do. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. And so I'm flying from Oklahoma City, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, over to Burbank, uh, and then on to the retreat center. And so 
um, I hear Max and his brother, and they're on this little um, device talking to their grandpa. And grandpa's like, I can't wait to see you. This is going to be great. I'm looking forward to having you come out, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. And then we take off. And, and Max is directly behind me next to the window, and I hear him say to his mom, Mommy, 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 we're going up. We're going in the air. We're past the clouds. I want to get off. Get me off. I want off. Make it stop. Get me off of here. I want out. I want out. And I'm thinking, I'm at the exit row. I could do this. You know? And then I think about suction and all the rest of us going. I'm like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. That's not a good idea. Right? No, stop. Now, I think, I think this is, you know, Max is just thinking what we've all thought at some point. Like, I want off this plane, but I can't. You can't get off till it lands. You know? Um, and, and, and I wonder, you know, is this going to be the whole trip? Like, like what's going to happen? And because uh, he has just lost it. And I hear his mom say, Max, honey, it's what planes do. That's what they're made for. They go up in the air. And they take us to places we could never go on our own. And then they land. We'll be with grandpa. It'll be great. It's okay. It's, it's what they're made for. And when we landed, I said, hey, Max. And she, she turns around and looks at me. I don't know her name. And I said, can I take your photo? And they're like, run, get out of here. And, and, I'm, and I said, no, no, I'm a pastor. And they're like, run faster. And, and so, so anyway, they were very sweet to let me take their photo. But I want you to know it's a true story. I mean, for real. And, um, you know, and it was just, it was so sweet. And, and I thought to myself, I'm going to be preaching on tithing and giving. And I, and I can almost hear you screaming from your seats, I want off, let me out, get me out, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the kingdom of God, no, let me out, stop it, get, let me out of here. And I just want you to know that the mom's right. This kingdom of life, this tithing piece, it's made to bless you. It's made to take you places you've never been able to go to on your own. It's meant to bless you, it's meant to help change the world, it's meant to be a blessing to you. Does this make sense? You don't have to be afraid of it. I know many of us are, particularly if you've never done it. Like if it's your first time on a flight, that's scary. I, I get it. But over time, you learn to trust and to be a blessing. Because, friends, you don't, you don't want to drive to L.A. I mean, I don't. I mean, not when you need to be back and forth. God has good for you, a blessing for you. So here's our action step, friends. And that is to resist the pull of financial gravity. We must make a plan. Will you say that with me? To resist the pull, we must make a plan. This stuff doesn't just happen. You don't just go up in the air. I mean, there's lots of planning that goes on that flight. And the same thing's true with your finances. We need a plan. And so for many of you all, this afternoon, I, I implore you, I'm really asking you to do this. Some of you uh, made a budget two years ago and you've never looked back at it. Dust it off. And say, so, you know what, sit down as a family and say, what are we going to do? What is, how are we going to participate in the kingdom of God? And, and really do that. And some of you have never made a budget in your life. It scares you to death even to think about it. Some of you don't look at your credit card bills. You just hope they're going to go away. They won't. They won't. You need a plan. You can't just hope yourself in, into this. You can't just, mm, maybe. No. It takes a plan. And, and we'll talk more about this over the next coming weeks. But friends, God has good for you. He wants to take you places you've never been. He wants to give you a life of peace and life that really is life. But it requires our participation and a plan. Amen?